Hey, friend. Welcome to Houston Made, a show where I, Rusty Gates, get to talk with local Houston-based entrepreneurs and business owners about what it's like to be in the middle of that journey and selfishly gain insights as I build my own business. In this episode, I got to sit down with my new friend, Jacob Ibarra, the owner, operator, and master roaster of Tenfold Coffee right here in Houston. Tenfold is so much more than a great place to post up, work for a few hours, and have a great cup of joe, though it is in fact that. It's also a center of coffee love, appreciation, and education as Jacob truly works to make the world a better place through coffee. When you enter this space, you'll immediately notice the attention to detail that runs through everything that they do, as well as an appreciation for life and natural beauty by the sheer number of plants that are all around. A while back, my broker actually rented out this space just as the shop was opening, and I fell in love, and I knew I wanted to have Jacob on as a guest, and he was kind enough to join me for an interview a couple weeks ago. So... Listen in as Jacob and I discuss the importance of coffee education for consumers, how that education can literally change lives around the world, as well as the importance of finding a balance between innovation with a respect for tradition as entrepreneurs. Well, Jacob Ibarra, uh, the owner, operator, master roaster <laughs> of, of Tenfold Coffee here in the Heights. Man, thank you again for, for joining us and for being being on the show. For people who don't know about Tenfold, can you tell a little bit about this space, where we are, what yeah. you do here? Yeah, absolutely. So this space is the first of our um, kind of showrooms, you know, for the city of Houston. Uh, I've, I've just, I've been in coffee my entire career. It's all I've ever done and have been blessed to kind of uh, experience coffee in multiple environments mm -hmm. and places in the world. And that's a culmination of a lot of those experience. Uh, and I, and I hope we're kind of elevating coffee for the city of Houston in a way, you know, yeah. um, this one is very centered around education and just exposing people to, I would say the craft of coffee mm -hmm. and to kind of counter just the, the consuming nature of it, you know? Yeah. Uh, so that's that's the heartbeat of kind of this place. Well, it, it's a beautiful space. And I know that um, for people who haven't been here, one, you should definitely come. It's cool. both great coffee. But on top of that, it's an amazing space that you all have created here. Um, what really wonderful tables, a great atmosphere. And uh, you've got your your lab, your laboratory, Tinfold yeah. Laboratory, where you guys do weekly uh classes and education on coffee tasting, coffee profiles, all of that, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, the classes have been, they are a key part of what we like want to do. Um, clearly the pandemic made that quite a bit challenging, but um, you know, again, it's, it's, it's taking what I've been exposed to and trying to bring that to a level where it can be approachable, mm -hmm. right? You know, for us, it's, uh, I, I think coffee is a beautiful crowd. There's a lot of lives that touch it. Um, you know, my background is a procurement, so I've, you know, I see it all the way from the farm level to existing in communities here in the U S. Um, and those classes are a way to kind of break some of that down and, mm. and, and show maybe some of the intentionality, some of the care, some of the creativity, um, behind coffee, you know? And so we've really focused on two, I would say classes for the, for the public. Mm -hmm. uh, one is coffees from around the world. And it's really just showcasing like what's out there. Yeah. And the d diversity. Like yeah. there's all kinds of, it's not, it's not blonde, medium, dark anymore. Exactly. It, there, it, the world totally. <laughs> has gotten smaller and there's a lot of profiles. You know, there. we start like really traditional, like not going to scare anybody. And then I'll put some coffees that taste like fruity pebbles, yeah. you know, and it's like, 
people are like, what? This is coffee? And I'm like, yeah. You know, it's like, that's where the world is getting to. Farmers are getting to. Um, And then the other class is more towards just people, helping people brew better at home. Mm. You know, I think the reality is that people are already messing around with four or five key variables, but probably just not in a way where they know how to really manipulate or adjust that to get a better cup. Yeah. You know, and so it's just showing them how that kind of science experiment works. Yeah, you know? for sure. Yeah, it feels a little bit like messing with like um, the EQ on the stereo sometimes. Exactly. Like, I don't know, just slide it around until it sounds good. So, but yeah, you talk about these five variables when you're, making coffee at home yeah. sometimes you don't have the ability to adjust those variables sometimes you, know? you don't you got to use a hot water kettle like there's that yep if you're not paying attention to temperature or grind or yep. all of that um so educating people on what that is because yeah it could be absolutely overwhelming totally you know and, and that's what i don't want you know like i don't want it to be something that's scary something that's um just too much, you know, and sometimes it's really like, it's really as easy a suggestion of like, well, go get a $30, $40 kettle that can hold Mm -hmm. the temperature. Yeah. And that'll make a whole lot or use filtered coffee or filtered water. Sorry. Yeah. And you will notice a difference. Yeah. You you know, it's like little things, Mm -hmm. you know, and they'll make this kind of effort. And then usually what you find is like, if somebody's willing to take that step and they have a good result, Mm. they're, they're down to kind of take the journey, you know? Yeah. Well, again, I feel like ever since the infomercials that were asking us to give uh, money to like poor kids in Africa, sure. everything has been measured in the cost of a cup of coffee. It's like for three cups of coffee. Da, 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 da. <laughs> but the reality is that a $40 kettle, it's like, well, if you're, if you drink coffee every day and you're doing it out and you're buying yep. it at a, a retail store, like that's not, you're a week of coffee <laughs> yeah, 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 and you yeah. can have years of great coffee that are so much better. Absolutely. So it's approachable. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, Unfortunately, that I think you've just nailed our, our hit on something that is a dynamic that. So we're in specialty coffee. It's this sphere of coffee that, you know, sits. There's a we try to distinguish ourselves from commodity coffee, which is kind of lower grade. Yeah. Um, you know, it's the, we are not separated from the globally traded price. Like everything kind of sits, um, kind of in comparison or, or, or in conjunction with that, but. We try to differentiate ourselves by quality. Yeah. You know, and, um, you know, some of those comparisons are challenging because, like, we're trying to elevate the value of coffee, you know. I I really, I think that that's the only way that we can impact the supply chain in a real way. And so showing somebody how to better brew a coffee so that they can have a better experience at home hopefully leads to a greater appreciation. Yeah. And coffee just in general. For all of it. Yeah. For all not, of it. not just not just what you're getting in your cup, Absolutely. but for the industry, for the farmers, totally. for the procurers and yeah. the art of procurement. So I, I know you you graduated from Texas A and M. Yep. You went to Costa Rica, which is where maybe this this deep love kind of started. Were you were you doing construction? In I Costa was in Rica? construction, man. So my brother and I, we went out and um, we worked for an orphanage. Okay. Um, and we just did construction every day. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, like the the orphanage it sat on a river and as you went down the river and came back up the other side was coffee fields, mm. you know, and I had never been in a culture that, uh, was just so infatuated with a product. You know, I, I didn't, I grew up in Texas, but I imagine maybe it's just like the Midwest or something, yeah. you know, when you're, when you're, when you breathe and live an agricultural product. Yeah. Um, dude, we would have coffee brewing in the morning. We would have a cafe break at nine 30. 
We would have coffee at lunch. We would have coffee at 3 p.m., you know, and then at night there was a pot brewing, you know. And then in the harvest time, all my buddies would go and help their fathers pick or work a farm, you know. And so it was just all around you. It was That was life. It was just, it was ingrained into what we were, what they were doing on there. Dude, and they were just so proud of it. Like it was like Costa Rican coffee is the best. And every Tico would like, yeah. you know, believe that. And it's like, and it's cool, man. You know, and it like I, I left there knowing coffee would be a part of my life, but not really understanding quite yet what that would look like. Yeah. You know. And then what drew you to Seattle? So you transitioned your Costa Rica, you to Seattle, obviously yep. it's the like supposed mecca yeah. of of coffee and it was kind of the perfect blend to be honest. So I was a, a psychology undergrad at AM. Um and I thought still that I would do something like counseling, coffee, you know, one of the things that really attracted me to is like the cafe you know, mm-hmm. that communities gather that, um, you know, you put a cup of coffee in front of two people and they pause, mm-hmm. you know, they stop. Um, all of that really spoke to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I actually went up there, uh, twofold more, more because it's coffee infatuated yeah, yeah. and then also to get a master's up there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went to a school that was trying to blend theology and psychology. Um, and so, yeah, still was kind of thinking I'd be a counselor, mm-hmm. coffee, yeah. something. And but then within a couple of years, I was like, just give me whatever degree I can. Yeah. Um, and I want to do coffee. Yeah. And so from there, I kind of, I kind of dove deep, man. I started. I was always a barista, and then I started roasting it for a, for a large specialty company up down there uh, or up there in Seattle. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that I have a buddy who um, is a roaster up. Uh, well, he was a roaster. He just stepped away from the roastery. Um, at Purple Door Coffee up in Denver is a nonprofit. They're oh. doing work with uh, formerly homeless teens and giving them jobs and job training and all that. And he's one, one probably the closest friend that really educated me. And okay. At the time, and this was 2010, was kind of explaining to me like third wave coffee. Yep. Right. So you started out and it was, like you said, purely commodity. It's just yeah. instant coffee, Folgers, whatever. Like yeah, coffee yeah. is coffee. You just get it in. Yeah. And then it, like the step up from there, I forget what second wave was. Second wave is usually people like Pete's and Starbucks where they started sourcing better coffee, but maybe their roasting practices didn't change too much. So it was still darkly roasted. Got it. You know, and if that makes... Just burn it. Just burn it to hell. Throw it in there. It's like, hey, we got it from this really great farmer. You won't be able to taste any of that. Yes. So the cooking didn't follow. (laughs) And I guess to understand that you need the kind of the precursor, which was an inferior product, which kind of dictated a burning of it because it was like defective. It was foul tasting. And so the only way you could cook it and it to be palatable was to burn it. Yeah. And so that's kind of the history, right? Like we, we developed a culture and a practice that has kind of changed one element at a time. And so when I was coming on the scene and in 05, it was like, oh, we can actually cook this. Mm. And each coffee tastes differently. Yeah, and, and wildly delicious. Well, and did the technology change? Because, like, my understanding totally. is now, like, you can like look inside the bean while you're roasting, and you can do like <laughs> kind of there. There's so much more than just yeah. like, well, it looks done. Oh, uh, totally, man. <laughs> you know, so refractometers started showing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, software. So when I first started roasting, there was no software that you could plug into the roaster. Now we plug up software that follows. Basically, it's a graph between heat and time, and you. You roast, I mean, we're still manually controlling everything, but you're yeah. roasting to a recipe almost. Mm. It's, it's in graph form, yeah. but it's got all your notes. Yeah. So, you know, we might roast the same coffee 
eight times in a given week, mm -hmm. but we have a reference curve profile, however you want to say that, that we roast to so that we have consistency throughout 20 batches or whatever. Yeah. You know, it's, it's cool now, man. That's amazing. Yeah. 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 It's a lot of fun. I mean, um, I say all the time that when I like doing real estate, I couldn't have been a realtor like 20 years ago. Mm. Like that was a different industry. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the game was completely different. The technology, not having the internet to have all the listings and everything. Like, um, it, it was just, it was a different job. Sure. And I imagine, I mean, I have to believe that there were people who took roasting seriously and saw it as an art and a craft, you know, back in the eighties, totally. like that, that, that was happening. But the, the type of art that that was, Dude, was totally. a dramatically a different art. That's it. You know, like, and even on the buying side. So, you know, that's where I've spent most of my career is, is the purchasing. And that's when you went to Australia. So you went from Seattle yeah, and to started, Australia. And that's when you started in buying and procurement. Yep. Yep. And I, you know, I took those steps because you know, there are a lot of importers in Seattle because it's a big coffee culture. You know, I got to, I got to expose myself to that world. Um, as we were, we were a medium sized company. I would say this is cafe Vita up in Seattle. Um, but our roasting and buying team was really small. So you get to kind of get all that insight, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I guess the point I was making is like on the purchasing side, when you, you know, when you travel with men who have been doing it for like 40 years more than you, like their battles, 30 years ago are way different than our yeah. battles now. You know, they were trying to get regions of a country to just stay regions. Whereas I'm looking at like plots of land and being like, please isolate that, that plot. Yeah. You know, yeah. A couple acres. Like, yeah. yeah. Plant only this there, wow. you know, that kind of thing. And so, yeah, it's interesting, man. you know, I think one of the things in our zealousness, we still need to have appreciation kind of for what was, you know? And mm -hmm. I think that that's, um, in general, I think coffee is still very young. The people who kind of get into it are youthful, you yeah, know, and yeah. energetic. And, and I think that uh, sometimes the appreciation side. Maybe, maybe a is, disconnect from yeah, kind of yeah. the legacy that came for you. That, I, I appreciate that. And I think it's a good testament to entrepreneurs everywhere. Mm. I think that most people who get into entrepreneurship, it's because they think, well, I could do it better. I could do that. Yeah. Like, yeah, whatever. Which we need a little bit of that. Totally. For innovation challenging that's that's how industries grow and develop somebody yep. was like you know i think a computer could help us out <laughs> a lot yeah and there was probably an old guy around be like no we don't need any computers and yet having a respect for all that and the appreciation i have a tattoo on my leg um it's like this uh, ancient jewish quote says um forgetfulness leads to exile uh, yeah. while remembrance is the secret of redemption cool it's this idea that uh, the Jewish people in the Old Testament, they were constantly getting in trouble when they forgot where they came from. Mm. <laughs> that, that was always the beginning of trouble is when yeah, they forgot dude. what God had done. And, um, and that was, that just meant a lot to me, uh, spiritually, but also like as a person to yeah. remember that like I am where I am today because my parents gave me opportunities yep. and, uh, they laid a foundation and opened doors for me that I could have never opened it for myself. Yeah, absolutely. And that we always have to remember and, pay like as much honor as we can to that legacy and then, and then build and develop. I, you Absolutely. Know, and I know they both would be really upset if I had just like done what they did. Yeah. They wanted me to go out and do things. Yeah. Um, well, and I think, I think you're even tapping on something that's maybe a little bit more American or challenge for Americans, you mm -hmm. know, where, I mean, it leads to a lot of great entrepreneurship, but I feel like in a lot of these producing countries, you know, your central and South American countries, it, there is a, I think it's easier for, for generation to build on generation to build on generation mm. without the, the, the need to go and create something completely different. Yeah. You know, um, 
and, and so it's interesting, I think. Yeah, you know? cultural difference of family and and, yeah. and the way we look at time. Totally. And- <laughs> no, that's it. But, you know, even taking it back into coffee, you know, Starbucks is kind of the, the quintessential example of this, right? It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, you can kind of hate on Starbucks, but there wasn't a coffee cafe mm-hmm. culture in America before. Then. Certainly. You know, like I wouldn't be able to do this without them, mm-hmm. you know, with or without that work. Yeah, without you know? the doors that they opened and the appreciation for coffee. And they that was the stepping stone. It had to be. Yeah. We had to go through that to get here. And, I, and I, honestly, I would be dumb not to pay attention to what they do currently even. Mm-hmm. You know, there, yeah. there is a, uh, a mass cultural kind of acknowledgement, especially here in the South that I, I know I need to be sensitive to mm. if, or I'm going to probably not be thinking in the appropriate way for my business. Yeah. You know, they're a big company and they're still a player yeah. and they affect what happens down yeah. here. So. Yeah. And it's, you know, and I'm not even saying like you follow that, yeah. but it's like, how do I position myself so that I'm either better or, or whatever that looks like, that decision yeah. looks like, but you have to be aware of it. I had, I just had um, a couple episodes ago, had a, a really similar conversation with Andrew Mitchum, who is the um, owner and brewmaster of a little nano brewery up in Jersey village called okay. Senate Ave. Cool. And we talked a lot about that, of um, that, that Carbach and St. Arnold, like he loves those places. That's where he was visiting. Yeah. He was, dreaming about opening a brewery and that he has to pay like homage to these brewers because there wouldn't be microbreweries and nano breweries yeah. out in Cyprus in Houston if it wasn't for those two major players saying like yeah we're gonna do it and yeah open the door we're gonna push we're gonna set up distribution for sure man yeah. and that's yeah that's it and it changes okay so you you go to to Australia so you're you were at in Seattle barista you were learning more and more about it you got to see yep. some of the inner workings and then you end up in australia doing procurement yep. for a pretty established uh company is five senses yep right? yep so five senses is kind of the equivalent of like an intelligentsia or counterculture over here you know they're probably close to 25 years wow. old now yeah. you know they're across the country we had a joint venture in singapore um and just a great group of human beings, you know, uh, was really privileged to kind of work there. And, um, I actually, so, you know, in Seattle, most of my time was roasting. I, at the end of that, I was like, okay, I need to figure out some sales experience. Um, how do I, that's not my natural kind of inclination. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I'm gonna go do this in Australia. Yeah. Um, but very quickly because of my experience, I got pulled into the kind of the procurement side. And so within six months I was, you know, kind of making trips and, and helping out and, uh, you know, that looked like covering Central America and I became that buyer or covering our, our high end micro lot program. And then eventually that just, you know, some of this was very fortuitous as well because the buyer at that time was on her way out. And so I basically got groomed to, to take over. Nice. Um, and man, that was awesome. You is, know, is it as glamorous as it sounds like, are you, you're traveling, you're jet setting around the world and taking these little buses to these middle of nowhere farms. Bro, that- I was, I was on the road three, four months out of the year, you know, in these countries, I, I the non glamorous part is like, you can be in the mountains of Colombia with cold water, you know, like, and <laughs> you know, or you can be in Africa in bed because you've eaten something and your stomach's <laughs> yeah. destroyed, you know? Yeah. That's the, um, that's the less, the side that we're not seeing. Yeah. yeah. But it's like, I loved it, you know, and I still love it, you know, like I'll be in Guatemala next month, you know? Um, it, 
what I love about coffee is the kind of groundedness. Like we, we get to showcase it here mm-hmm. in the cafe, but the reality is most of it's at a very like, some might say backwards level. It's, 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 it's an agricultural product. I mean, it's people battling the yeah. weather, the earth, the, geopolitical (laughs) yeah dude you know it's like there is something very humbling about that you know and it's um i think what was what was amazing for me is because of the size of the the purse that i went and bought at Mm -hmm. you know i also got to do a lot of good you know it's like and that's where i here's my little rant but like i believe specialty coffee is a way for people to have better lives Mm. you know there there are a lot of uh mechanisms like your organics or your fair trades or your rainforest alliance that, that try to accomplish that as well. Um, but I think at the core level, what I've seen to be the most successful is just quality. Yeah. You know, so, and it's not an easy thing, you know, to take somebody from a commodity minded thinking or, uh, and improve their quality. Like, and there's investment, whether that's energy or money, but if they can, if they can figure that out, then they can, demand more for their product. And if they can do that over a couple of seasons, well then they can leverage their name a little bit. And if they, if they win a competition or if they kind of position themselves in an appropriate place, dude, they can, they can do really well, you know, at that point. And so, um, I, I just believe that, uh, specialty coffee is a way for a lot of people trapped in a particular type of lifestyle to kind of find their way out. Yeah. You know, which then plays to the education piece, right? Because Absolutely. so to increase demand for these these farmers all over the world and for their product, there have to be more people that are asking for great coffee from Absolutely. unique, interesting places. In the same Absolutely. way that we have wineries all over the place now because demand is high. Yeah. Uh, and there's it's the same thing. It's our product, <laughs> chalking grapes. Yep. And they use that grapes and Again, the plot of land and the quality and absolutely, um, and absolutely, it's going to be a commodity. That's as well. Like, there's bad wine, and there's always yeah. going to be bad wine. There's people who are like, yeah, it's fine. We'll just grow it in bulk and we'll blend it all together and totally. be okay. And yet, um, yeah, the idea that if you take the time to be intentional about what you're drinking, where it comes from, how it's being made, that that can actually so good into the world on the opposite side of the world. Totally. That's really cool, man. I mean, that's the that's the dream, right? You know, it, it, you would almost be cold-hearted to to travel as much as I have and to not want to contribute. Mm. Y- y- you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. it's, it really is like that. So, um that and to be fair, that's like that's, that's the whole basis of Tenfold. You know, that's that's the that's the purpose behind it, you know. We as an educated human being, somebody who's been very blessed, like you talked mm-hmm. about your parents, but like, you know, like I was the same. My my parents didn't finish college, Mm -hmm. you know, and, um, but I was blessed to be put in a position where I could educate myself and grow. And, you know, I've been all over the world and I'm coming back to Houston with a mindset of how do I creatively position tenfold so that it is that showroom or, Mm. or so that it is that, that voice or that advocate to increase demand, like you said, Um, but also just bring somebody into that experience at their own pace, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and make it stick. You know, and so that's that's really the basis of everything we're trying to do here. And our whole strategy is really built around that. You know, yeah. um, we will produce creative spaces that make people think about coffee in a different way, whatever we build. You know, even if that means less of them, you know, we will do we that's the hope. 
Yeah. And, and we know that if we can do that well, do that creatively, then we can sell more coffee. It's mm. kind of the goal. And if yeah. we can sell and move more coffee, it's not about making money necessarily, but then I've been in the position where I can go into communities and be like, okay, I know your bulk coffee is this, scores like this. I can charge you this. But if you bring me coffee that scores in this range, well, I can give you a premium. Yeah. And if you, if you can get coffee scoring in this, I will put your name on it and give you another premium. Yeah. And then you can help incentivize kind of development, growth. Yeah. You know, and I've been blessed to be in that position. And so it's like, and I've seen that work. And so I really, that's, that's what we're trying to get at, you know, and, and, and it's, that means choosing less countries to work within. That means choosing less producers. And if they're, if we're buying from estates, then I want to choose people who I believe, because one of the other things that's really important is like, you need people on the ground in these countries mm-hmm. committed either they're because they're from there or because they have a heart for it. Yeah. Um, helping those around them that um, maybe are less fortunate, mm-hmm. you know? And so that's who we're choosing to try to work with as well. Um, yeah. So that the, our impact looks significant or at least is positioned to have yeah. a greater impact, you know? So when you try, I mean, so some of this was you were given some relationships and connections to begin with because it was a part of the job. So sure. when you talk about being groomed, like that was some of it was like, Hey, we're going here. You're going to meet these people. And yep, then, yep, yep. so for a decade plus yep. now you've built these relationships, but it, what does exploration look like when it comes to finding new families, new farmers? Sure. New, like, is it, you just kind of like, be like, hey, we're going to spend a few weeks here and we'll travel around and ask the locals. What does that look like? Yeah. So, I mean, when you go to a country for the first time, it's it's like traveling to a country for the first time, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. it's like you do your research. In, in this sense, it's like the way the supply chain works in, in most of these countries mm-hmm. is that there are exporters everywhere. Yeah. And so an exporter generally would have their own networks. Mm-hmm. And so maybe at first you go to an exporter mm-hmm. and you let's say you go to their office and you taste through um, maybe a selection of coffees. And then you're like, oh, I like that one. Oh, I like that one. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit more. And then your trip kind of evolves around going and maybe visiting those. Yeah. You know, um, you know, at this point, it's um, I've got more relationships than I can bring to Tenfold right mm-hmm. now. You yeah. know, so it, and I'm finding this as an entrepreneurial uh, challenge is I just have to focus, mm. you know, like there are a lot of opportunities, a lot of avenues that you potentially could go, but like yeah. kind of staying true to vision, try, staying true to what you want Timful to kind of be uh, like built on, mm-hmm. you know? And so, uh, but yeah, you know, as relationships develop, now it looks more like going to a country, visiting the farmers that you have partnered with, and then maybe exploring a new region or maybe exploring a new yeah. farm. Like, so that there's always a little bit of exploration mm-hmm. because even, even in the best of times, like sometimes a farmer, like for example, uh, one of the farms that we work with, uh, I was just told that their their production this year is going to be two thirds less than it was last oh, year. Wow! So l- luckily, they're going to safeguard a little bit, mm-hmm. but it's a pretty big coffee for me. It's it's my biggest purchase every year, and it's up. It's usually half of our espresso blend, which doesn't change. Yeah, yeah. If in the event I had to go and find new coffee because I know my needs then that's when exploration is really important. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't have 
any of that time spent in like looking for new relationships, then, then you're kind of stuck. Yeah. That way you're playing from behind the ball, right? It's, it's, exactly. Yeah. Like there's just no way you're like trying to play catch up and Hey, and then again, when you talk about the intentionality and choosing the right people, not just the right product Yes. Uh, that, yeah, you have to kind of have just some of those ready to go if, if, and if, and when the opportunity arises, that's it, that's it, you know? And yeah, you know, and I think it's also cool because, I kind of consider it my responsibility to be savvy in this market Mm -hmm. and to actually create revenue streams that drive the moving of, of coffee. Yeah. Right. So, um, we're going to be going hard into cold brew next year. Um, we have some other kind of more creative orientated coffee stuff offerings that we want to move into as well. And it's like, if I can do that, well, then I can go build new relationships Mm -hmm. or or step into more relationships, you know, um, so that's where I think exploration really gets fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's this really interesting balance between being really focused and being like, we can't do everything. Yeah. So we got to pick a few things and we're going to do those things really well. Yep. While also keeping an eye on what could be next. So yep. you, you, the most of your time is spent there, but there's a little bit. I, uh, I think, oh gosh, what was the book called? There's a book I read as a part of like a business assignment that I had at one of my previous jobs. They were like professional development. They're always kind of be like, hey, spend some time reading. And one of them was, I think it was like the innovator's dilemma or something along those lines. And it essentially said that is how do you like produce one product and get it to where. And then there's just their whole idea is that typically within technology, you can produce a, overproduce a product to where it gets so good and so expensive that it's actually not even yeah makes doesn't make sense for the public market anymore yeah dude and then now you can be like and that's true like i think about computers like it's like yeah we can make amazing computers twenty thousand dollar computers like, well well i love people buying those i mean this so i i came back to texas in 2018 and i feel like i've had to learn this lesson over and over and over and over again you know because it's like you get out of a job and it's just like, it's a, it's an open world mm-hmm. at that point. And you're just like, Oh, I can do everything I can, you know? Yeah. And I've got a consultancy side too. And it's like, but really you're limited. Your mm-hmm. time is limited. And I actually think that that makes us better. Uh, I think it has its advantages, even though it looks maybe negative, you know? Yeah. Um, I think focus is a great thing, mm-hmm. you know? And um, it really puts like, what is it that you value, you know? But I still find myself, kind of falling in that trap you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah people talk about balance and i don't know if it's always that um i think uh terry the trainer uh um, was a previous guest and he was saying he's like i don't want balance in my life he's like i just know it's about rhythms he's like there are seasons where mm. it's it's really busy and you're all over the place and then there are seasons where you just have to pare everything down it's like okay we got to do this for a little bit and then um I, I yeah i bounce back and forth between all of that yeah I, yeah, I, yeah i get excited and i'm like i'm gonna do everything and then i spend a week where i'm just working non-stop and be like okay i'm like i'm gonna just have to stop everything mm. for three days now <laughs> yeah so for me it's like uh like what's sustainable mm. right because like i don't so i've i've basically burnt out where I'm at now where mm. like the last six months have been super hard. Not because I think the business is actually getting easier, yeah. but I'm just like, I'm just so tired from running at such a pace, mm-hmm. you know, and you don't know when you're starting a business, like you feel like you're running a sprint, but you forget that it could be a marathon. Yeah. And so yeah, like, that pace is after a while is destructive, you know? And, and 
So now it's more like, and that has forced me to be like, okay, so what are the systems? What are the mm. culture? What are the people that we're putting in place to build this so that it's more robust, so that it's not just on, so I have a business partner too, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not just on us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that ultimately, like, I've been thinking about that, um, it's that old uh, African proverb that is, uh, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you mm-hmm. want to go long, go as a group. Yeah. You yeah. know, and, and, um, that's what I'm consciously thinking of right now. Yeah. You know, and as an entrepreneur and as a startup, I would say mm-hmm. it's, um, it's challenging because it, it often is that kind of chicken before the egg. Like mm-hmm. you kind of have to build the cash in order to hire the people or, or eat, yeah. you know, it's yeah. like, um, so there is that, I feel like stressful point, but it's like with a goal in mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, again, it's, it's for a season. It's, yes. you, gonna, we are going to sprint for a little bit, but so that, we can get to a point up ahead and yes. take a breath and yep. slow down and then we can yep. go together. Uh, I can absolutely appreciate that. Um, so the real estate thing and the media company and the media company has just been really successful. I've been really fortunate. Cool. Um, last week I was out shooting video for rent Ewards and Segway. Um, and like today I had, like I said, I had, um, some social media stuff. I'm doing some marketing work for a company in the morning and then this interview and then video work tomorrow. And I also have a video due tomorrow. So I told my wife, I was like, Hey, I like, I'm going to get home tonight and then I'm going to lock myself in the mm-hmm. office and I'm just going to work until that's done. So I'll see you on Friday. <laughs> uh, and, and I was having the same thoughts when I was sending those text messages to her of like, I, this is great. I'm so grateful for these opportunities. Super exciting. Yep. This is, and this is how it's got to be right now. Yep. It can't be like this forever. Nah, but nor can it be like this for a couple more weeks. <laughs> like That's... I'm looking at December and being like, yeah, okay, we're gonna we're gonna get through a couple of weeks of this and then take a breath and then reevaluate and yeah, see absolutely. how do man. we how do we slow down or leverage some other people to to make this more sustainable. You mentioned your business partner, which I, I think is uh, a good segue. You sure. um, when you started this, uh, my understanding is you had two other business partners right? That you, you started all of this with. We, I have one other business partner. I have one that we call a founder that he's actually here this week. Um, that, that probably offers, uh, kind of his heart and his ears, um, kind of as a consultant, you know, from time. Um, my, my other business partner is actually lives in Australia, uh, Singaporean by birth. His name is Yu Seng. Um, and he is in his sixties. And had a rich career, you know, in a lot of industries, mm-hmm. uh, private equity. Um, he managed the Commonwealth Fund of Singapore for the Hong in Hong Kong. Like he's done some very cool, yeah. large scale <laughs> stuff, yeah. you know. And you know, in all fairness, uh, I'm probably a project for him, sure. You know, in a lot of ways, and um, I'm pretty blessed to have somebody like that, mm-hmm. you know. And and, and interestingly. Uh, the fact that he's overseas mm-hmm. and has been kind of trapped in Australia through the pandemic. Yeah. I mean, we were birthed in the pandemic and he hasn't been able to come over here since we've opened. Um, has almost given us a, he's very level headed with his experience, but also like there's no emotion tied into it where I, I clearly am tired or exhausted yeah, yeah. and have a lot of emotion with it. <laughs> and it's a, it's been a really interesting balance to kind of navigate a lot of different things, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and so, uh, he's the whole financial side, kind of setting up the architecture, uh, the structure, the systems for that side. And I'm the operations side, yeah. you know? And so, and how, how does that kind of a relationship come about? Cause I'm, I'm, 
you know, a lot of the people that I've talked to on this podcast so far, it is kind of ground up grassroots. They have a product and people like it. So they go to markets, they sell it. Maybe they do well enough that now they've got some distribution and they're hiring people to make the products for them. And and there's all of that. But uh, it does seem like that there is this kind of partnership. I don't want to call it a shortcut, but I mean, it's definitely a different way of getting into it saying, we're going to start out with maybe some capital or with enough collateral to get a loan or whatever. So how do those conversations work? How do you identify a partner and say, oh, yeah, this relationship or you had a really great idea. And he was like, yeah, well, it was kind of, well, I'll tell you our, my story and I can maybe suggest how I think it should work, but I'll just, I'm (laughs) probably better off just saying how ours work, you know? Um, so I had always had the dream of starting something, Mm -hmm. you know, it it was kind of one of these things where every time I traveled, it would kind of bubble up. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a Christian guy. Um, uh, when I moved to Costa Rica, um, I was really like, I didn't want to just work to work. Mm-hmm. And so I was kind of praying and thinking through and had a few dreams at that point mm-hmm. that I feel like never really left me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as I got into my mid thirties or my early to mid thirties, I started really thinking about that and traveling, you know, you kind of have this wanderlust, you start thinking about what could be and, and, um, I actually went to him because he was a friend of mine at the time's business partner. Mm. And I just wanted some wisdom. Yeah. I'm just like, I can't get rid of this. I know I probably should start it soon if I'm ever going to do it. Um, and that was one of, actually one of the first things he told me. is like, your opportunity costs are going to be too high. Like, you're going to be either making too much money. You're going to have too many responsibilities. I already had one kid, you know, like, um, to take that risk. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's how it started. And um, we just kind of eventually that led into, Oh, I will partner with you, Yeah, you know? And, um, because he's private equity, he, he was the one that kind of guided us through, uh, we raised money. We, you know, we've got other partners in the, in yeah. the business. Um, and, and at that point it's, we've got an idea, we have a concept. Yep. Here's the plan. Yeah. And that's when you're talking to people and you're, you're saying, Hey, do you want to be a part of this? Yeah. You know, you put together a whole like business plan, a whole yeah. deck of, if, if you want to mm-hmm. say something that's, um, you know, in that deck, it looks different to different groups. Like when you're looking for real estate and you don't have a concept to show somebody and yet you're trying to negotiate TI <laughs> or whatever, yeah. you know, it's like, no, but this is what our experience is. This is what it, we think it'll look like, feel like. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you're trying to raise money, it's the same thing. You know, it's the, uh, got to show people something, yeah. Um, yeah. you yeah. know? Um, but yeah, he was, he was very influential in those, these early stages. And I think that's where, you know, I would probably suggest if you're looking for a partner, look for a partner who doesn't have the same skill set as you, mm. you know, um, that would be clearly what this is like. Uh, he is clearly of a different time period, mm-hmm. which has its own challenges and advantages. Um, he also comes from a completely finance background, which has its challenges mm-hmm. and also has some real cool blessings. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yet we relate enough on what we want Timful to be that, um, you know, for the most part, we stay in our lane. Yeah. Yeah. But clearly it's like, I'm here. He's not, if there's financial questions, then I might have to step in, you know, and sometimes I get in trouble with him too, you know, and we, but we, we meet weekly, mm. uh, we pray weekly. Um, you know, we're, we're talking about what we want 
uh, tenfold to be for the future. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really crucial in these early stages, you know, and, and, and our plan with him was for him to be kind of in the day to day for four or five years yeah. and to kind of then step out and kind of be more an advisor. Like, mm-hmm. um, so we are probably about two years away, you know, and the idea is that we build a, a financial team that he kind of oversees, but then, you know, he's doing less of the day to day stuff, Yeah, you know, and that's how, that's how it's worked for us. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it could look a lot different if it's two like-minded people, but I think you got to be real careful as to whose responsibilities are what, yeah. because at that point it's like, well, why are you partnering? I think, you know, at least that's how I look yeah. at it. Um, I do think there is some advantages to having somebody by your side, mm-hmm. you know, it's just less lonely. Yeah. You, you know, there are a lot of times when, you know, I look at leadership really, uh, you know, it's really easy if like, if you had a problem and you were coming to talk to me and seek mm-hmm. advice, it's really easy for me to kind of offer that and to, yeah. to, to be careful with my, my intent and words, but, but to be like emotionless. Yeah. But when you are making decisions on a day to day basis, it's like, that's all I do every day. Mm-hmm. And my heart is attached to it. Um, that's what I actually think leadership is. Mm. You, you, you know, it's like it, and so if, I don't know, having somebody there to talk to through that and to, yeah. you know, cause you can just self doubt. Yeah. Like even this, even something simple, you can think a thousand different things to it, yes. you know? Um, or you can be super attracted to something and we've had this circumstance and he's just like, Jacob, no, <laughs> you know, but I'm like, but I can do this. You know, it's like, but no, why? Yeah. You, you know, like, yeah. and, and so I, I love just a that. little bit of accountability. Yeah. <laughs> a so, second set of advice. Yeah. So I think if you are willing to maybe take some sacrifices in the early stages, I think you'll probably be propelled farther mm-hmm. with, a, with potentially a partner. Yeah. It's kind of how I view. Yeah. I, it's definitely something that appeals to me as a, a solopreneur, both in real estate and yep. media. And, you know, the uh, obviously, you know, Randy um, yep. and, and so my broker and he's been a, a guiding light for me throughout real estate. So, yes, it's my business. I'm doing that. But I kind of had someone to bounce stuff off of. Yeah. With media, I, I mean, I've had to go find friends. Mm. Um, there's a guy that I found on TikTok who's out in Florida I was making videos there were a little, like a few steps ahead of where I wanted to be, but seemed about like career wise about where I was. And so I didn't feel bad about reaching out and be like, hi, can we be friends? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Cause I just, I need someone to be able to text what I don't know how to like fix my camera or I'm looking at a piece of gear and I don't know totally. what should I buy? What should I invest in? And I've just had to go out of my way to like find those relationships because yeah, being a silo I would just never do anything. Yeah, dude. I would be like, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Therefore, I'm not going to do anything. And I'm certainly not going to spend thousands of dollars on the camera. I don't know if it's going to work. Yeah, yeah. And uh, no, that sounds really wise, man. You know, because I think there's a lot of people who don't do even that step, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I Look, the, I think the reality is we need people. Yeah. I mean, at the core level of it, you know, I think that it's just a, maybe some people less, mm-hmm. but I think we really do. And I think we're going to be better off inviting the right people into the equation, you know? Yeah. So, well, man, uh, as we kind of get towards the end of our time here, uh, you've had this really awesome journey. I feel like if you want to write a book, I think you could, yeah. I think that people would read that, listen to an audio book on their, on their, their travels. But, um, 
Is there advice that you would give to uh, that younger Jacob who was sipping coffee for the first time in Costa Rica mm. or, or figuring out the business side of things in Seattle for the first time? You know, it's hard to say because I, I feel like f- if I'm talking to myself, yeah, it's like you could have moved a little quicker. <laughs> and, but at the same time, it's like, dude, that's what made me me. Yeah. Y- you know, um, so you kind of give yourself grace, but I, I'm kind of the one that like, you know, I felt like I need to prepare myself mm. and maybe that makes even this first year in a pandemic work as well as it did. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I hadn't taken that time, you know, maybe I couldn't have done this in the pandemic, Yeah, you know? So it, it's hard to say, but I think personally it's like my gut's usually in the right place. And, and, and now I think I could, I could maybe move with a little bit more speed, but, mm-hmm. um, uh, I feel like I've taken all those, those experiences and, um, yeah, kind of building what I want to see in, in the world, you know? And, um, I would say if, if I'm talking to other people, yeah, I would say do something with purpose, mm. you know, do something that, um, as corny as it sounds, makes, makes the world a better place. Yeah. You know, um, I think that's the beauty of being an entrepreneur. Like you get to create in this world, something that you want to see, something that you, um, potentially helps other people. And I, I I think that that at the core level is what will also create longevity. Yeah. You know? And so I think you need to do something with purpose in order for it to be, um, I don't know, have a lasting impact. Yeah. Well, and I, I I certainly believe that when you kind of come, come at it a little more cause motivation, a little more, being a little more cause driven, um, that the experience of it will be different. You'll, I mean, your experience of it will be different. Absolutely. When you were talking about being able to go to these producers and say, Hey, you're making it here, but if you can deliver it at this quality, mm. then I can do X, Y, Z. I just imagined how beneficial that kind of challenge is, is, you know, if you, if you've been producing at a lower quality again for a generation yeah and like you just can't just get bored and uh andrew mitchum the brewer and i were talking about this of just like how awful boredom is for like a person like for your soul like and my definition of boredom is and this is one that i tell i have a five-year-old son and a three-year-old son i tell them this all the time is that like is boredom isn't the lack of things to do it's the belief that the things you have to do are not worth doing. Yeah. And so it's like, they're like, we're, we're so bored on things. Like you, I have given you the world. <laughs> you could do so many things. And they're just like, I was like, so go build with your Lego sets. Well, I don't want to. And it's just like, in that moment, they don't see any value in it. And yeah. if I say, how tall can you build a Lego tower? Immediately the challenge, like something switches in their brain and yep. they go like, Oh, watch me. Yeah. And I, I think that saying like, Hey, I want to, so you can say, yeah, I want to start a business. And if you do it, if you're doing it for yourself, I want to start a business. I want to make six figures, whatever it is. Okay, great. Cool. But then you're going to, ca- you might catch that goal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then the, it's the dog catching the car. It's like, well now what? And that's where goals. I have seen that like those kind of emptier goals, you attain them. And all of a sudden you're just like, oh, this sucks. Why have I been doing all this? Well, and <laughs> I, w- I would probably argue that being an entrepreneur probably isn't the quickest or easiest way to make six figures also valid you you know like i'm like there are days when i'm like oh i could have kept that job you know and had a lot more free time you know but it it, so i you know i love what i do 
I love what we're building and I'm excited about the future and I'm completely fulfilled and super tired. (laughs) Amen. Yeah. Well, Jacob, dude, thank you so much for the time. Um, Tenfold Coffee, you're doing amazing things here, both with coffee education and obviously around the world. So um, we'll definitely push people your way. Thanks. Thanks so much. A huge thank you to Jacob and to you for listening to this episode of Houston Made. If you haven't done so already, go find Jacob and the shop on Instagram at Tenfold Coffee, all one word. And then check out their website, tenfoldcoffee.com, where you can learn about all the regular classes they have. They're an excellent way to try some great coffee, learn more about brewing at home, and meet some wonderful people in the process. Otherwise, just swing by the shop sometime. I promise you, you won't be disappointed. I wanted to give you a quick heads up that this is actually the second to last episode of season one of Houston Made. So far, I've had the chance to talk with 22 entrepreneurs across 31 episodes, and it has been a joy. I'll take a short break and return in early 2022. But in the meantime, I'll be doing a limited edition merch drop as a way for you to support the show and the small businesses that we highlight here. So be sure to follow me on Instagram at Rusty J Gates and the show on Instagram at Houston Made Podcast. So you can hear all about that and support what we're doing here. Houston Made is hosted by me, Rusty Gates, produced and edited in collaboration with Luke Bronner. Our artwork was designed by Stephanie Leal and Sarah Olwegfi in collaboration with Mac Ryan Creative. Credit for our theme music goes to old friends, new friends. Houston Made is glad to be a part of the Million Media neighborhood of podcasts and storytellers. We are people who care deeply about human connection, and in our neighborhood, we find that connection by hearing and appreciating one another's stories. To find more shows made by amazing storytellers from all kinds of backgrounds, visit milliumedia.com. <laughs>